Hello again, everyone, and welcome to our Red Wings podcast, Octopulse. I'm Mark Faulkner, Assistant Sports Editor at the Detroit News. I'm joined by Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin up here in the press box at Little Caesars Arena. And Ted, for the first time all year, the Wings are officially in last place, three points behind the Kings and Devils. And I think they're probably going to stay there for a while, Mark. I don't think they're going to be moving too far out of that position. They, they definitely deserve to be in the basement, I pretty believe. But they've winless, I think, in five or six games now, is it? One, two, three, four, six games. Doesn't look that good. We're, we're doing this game right in the middle of the Toronto game here, but after the first period, they're losing here 3 nothing tonight. It's going to be a tough road, it looks like. Uh, there's a lot of key injuries. They may have lost Jimmy Howard here in the first period. Losing Anthony Mantha, Mark, that hurts. Right, I mean, right. he's their leading goal scorer. He had 12 goals. Probably their lone real offensive threat going. That's going to be a tough one to overcome. I mean, this team doesn't score goals very easily. When you lose a guy like that, I'm not sure where you're going to be able to manufacture that, that type of offense. So uh, it's looking kind of grim right now anyways, that's for sure. What do you make of the, uh, the Maple Leafs tonight without Mike Babcock? We haven't talked about his dismissal or his new replacement Sheldon Keith. They're flying aren't they Mark? I mean they're playing loose they're playing like they're having some fun out there. I picked them to win the Stanley Cup so let's hope they keep going <laughs> this way. That uh, makes me look smart. Yeah first cup since uh, 1967. Anyway on the subject of Babcock here's what Red Wings coach Jeff Blaschel had to say about his relationship with Babcock and the pressure of coaching in the NHL. Well, I think the world we live in, not just this profession, but the world we live in is, uh, you know, an instant gratification world, and there's so much uh, media availability and so much media, uh, both uh, mainstream media, social media, all that, that, um, you know, the, the, the pressure tends to, to mount quickly and, 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 and whatnot. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure part of it is, you, you know, obviously uh, Mike was fired yesterday in Toronto. Mike's a great hockey coach. I don't think anybody that is around the game doesn't think Mike's not a great hockey coach. He's a great hockey coach who did tons for me and, um, you know, gave me a chance in this league and then, and then hired uh, and, then, and then during my time in, in, a, in the American League, we had unbelievably real conversations that, that he helped me instill to this day. I mean, I talked to him uh, via text yesterday, but I talked to him, you know, three weeks ago, he called me to see how, how things were going. So um, it's the nature of the business, and we all accept that. Uh, certainly, um, you know, it's, it's, it's at a spot where sometimes... I think when there's there's a lot of pressure, this isn't referring to their situation, but you asked me a general question. When there's a lot of pressure, sometimes you make good decisions and sometimes you, you let uh, outside influences affect your decisions. And, and um, that's partly why I think at times it's it's hard to, to stick around. So, Ted, how do you think Blaschel has handled the pressure? Uh, Steve Eisenman said Blaschel and his staff are doing a good job of preparing the players. He said they've improved since training camp and he's seeing some progress despite this winless streak. Mark, what, I mean, what is he going to do? I mean, the rosters, it is what it is. I think he's gotten as most as he can out of it for the last couple years, really, for sure, last season. Up to this point, I mean, what more can he ask of the man? I mean, they did have a pretty decent first couple weeks of the season. I mean, they've struggled since, but when you look at that roster, I don't know how many... I don't know how many quality NHL players are on there. I mean, he's like squeezing water out of a stone. I think he's doing as good a job as he possibly could. Now another ex-Red Wings coach is in the news, but for all the 
Wrong reasons. Bill Peters, he was an assistant coach here. The NHL is investigating Flames coach Bill Peters after a former player alleged that Peters used racial slurs when the two of them were in the Chicago organization about 10 years ago. What do you make of the story now as it's developing? Peters is not behind the bench tonight with the Flames against Buffalo. I don't know too much about it, Mark. I really haven't. But I know when, when Bill Peters was here, he was a very, he was a very, he was a friendly guy, a good guy, good coach. Um, obviously, those allegations are, I mean, it's an old, it's an unfortunate situation. It really is. Everyone's pretty tight-lipped right now about right. Akima lose. I don't know how you're going to come back. I'm sure Bill, exactly. he's going to, he's going to be. Released of his duties or any day, you don't come back from something like that. I, mean, I, um, be gone. I spoke with Alou's father today, Ty Alou. They were in Windsor for a while when Akeem was involved. Or Akeem didn't participate in a hazing incident. There was a fight, and Alou got traded. Alou's father said, "Really, right now they're just—they've been told just to really be quiet, wait for the investigation to go along." He did say he's really proud of his son, though, 10 years later to speak up. So no, good for him. I agree with you. Absolutely. Anyway, speaking of coaches, let's hear now from Vegas Golden Knights coach Gerard Gallant. He was a former linemate of Steve Eiserman's. That's coming up next on Octopulse. Joining me now is Gerard Gallant, coach of the Vegas Golden Knights and former Detroit Red Wing. Welcome to the podcast, Gerard. How you doing, Mark? Good, good, thanks. You spent nine years here in Detroit, many of those years playing alongside Steve Eiserman. What do you remember most about those early Eiserman years, Gerard? Well, we were real good friends, obviously, uh, coming up in Detroit together. He played the first year with before I got there, but uh, you know, when I got called up, moved in with Steve, and uh, you know, stayed the first year and a half with him, and became good friends and good teammates. And uh, he was a character person. A real caring guy and a, and a great hockey player, obviously. What was that like when you first went up? The Wings were winless in 12 games in 1985. You faced the New York Islanders, who had won four cups uh, in the early 80s. You scored against Billy Smith, and the team actually won 5-4. Um, what was it like playing on the wing with Steve Eiserman? Well, it was a huge thrill, obviously. I mean, uh, we were just young kids then. Like you said, I was 20 years old, and... He was a year younger than me at 19, but he uh, he was already had his, he was in the second year of the league. But no, to get called up and my play my first game against the New York Islanders, that was a team I grew up uh, idolizing, Trotche, Gillies, Bossy, and all those players. So it was my favorite team at the time. And to play my first game and score my first goal against that team was uh, was an incredible feeling. Also on that line over the years, Gerard, uh, Bob Probert and Paul McLean, what did they add to the line, especially Bob Probert? Well, Bob Probert, obviously the physical play, but Bob Probert was a better player than a lot of people thought. He wasn't just a tough guy that could come there. He scored uh, a number of big goals for us. He uh, he was a good hockey player, a good character guy. Uh, we loved Proby every day, and he worked hard, but he made a lot of room out there for me and Steve. And, you know, Paul McLean was another guy I know real well. He played a couple of years with us, and Paul was a big-time scorer. He was a great net front player, good hands, uh, physical presence, and uh, – no, really enjoyed both of those guys playing with them with the time with Detroit with Steve and, the, and those two guys. You were the first player back then in NHL history to score, let's see, 30 goals, 50 assists, and 200 penalty minutes. So other power forwards came in after you. But was your role to – what was your role on that line? 
Well, I just came to play every night. I mean, I was uh, up and down winger. I knew when I got the puck, I wanted to give it to Steve as quick as possible because he made the plays. And I went hard to the net. And I used to shoot the puck real good in the day and I had a good shot so I could score from the outside. But uh, the main thing was to, you know, get the puck to our centerman, Steve Eisman, let him carry it up the ice. And we'd go hard to the blue paint and get some goals from there. So, uh, you know, and uh, physically, I had no issue with the physical part of the game. I enjoyed it. It was a big part of me getting involved in the game. So I liked the game. I liked to play every night, and uh, I had fun when I went to the ring. You mentioned you and Steve moved in uh, together the first year or so. Actually, let's listen to Darren Millard, who now works for your Golden Knights as a TV analyst. He talks a bit about how the two of you became good friends and good teammates. When Gerard played for the Detroit Red Wings, uh, he, had, he had a young – he mentioned Steve Eisenman and, uh, and Bob Probert. And it was it was a it was a group that was still coming together and and was trying to find its way, but but extremely talented players. And Steve Eisenman uh, is a uh, type A personality, but Turk uh, had the ability, uh, and and you you can't teach this. Uh, you, you either you either are allowed to do it by the person or you're not allowed to do it. But, but Gerard Gallant had the ability to, to get Steve's ear mm. and was, was um, uh, able to guide him and, and maybe in certain situations say things to, to Steve uh, that, that other players or maybe coaches uh, just, just wouldn't be um it would go, it would be slept off or, or they just wouldn't have the cachet uh, or the resume or the street cred to be able to, to say that to Steve, but Gerard did. Mm. And, and, and it's, uh, it's notable when you talk to people from, from that era, it's, uh, it's one of the things that always comes up that, that Gerard was able to, for whatever reason, uh, uh, be able to, uh, to talk, mold, guide, mentor, uh, Steve Eisman. I'm not saying that Gerard Gallant made Steve Eisman. Don't, no, don't no. get me wrong, but I think, no. but I think he was a real important part of guiding Steve Eisman as a young uh, yeah. National Hockey League and as a young captain with yeah. a lot of expectations uh, through the early parts. Yeah, so that's what Darren had to say, Gerard. Uh, what did you learn from Steve Eisman? Because a lot, there was a lot of pressure on him as he became captain. A lot of success too with those. Early Jacques Demers years. Yeah, no, Steve was a guy that was dedicated to make himself a better player. I mean, uh, every day after practice, we'd go in the gym and, you know, get workout and get stronger because both of us at that time weren't big players. I was about 165 pounds, and I think Steve was 160 pounds. So we went to the gym a lot and worked out, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a good good group of young players there. We were we were a, a very bad team at that time. We It was a transition year for the Red Wings, and uh, – so we didn't win many games, but uh, like I said, we knew we were going to get better. We had a lot of character guys. Kosher was coming up, Probert was coming up, uh, Claudie Lozell. There was a lot of a lot of younger players coming up at that time. So we had fun there and we worked hard, but we knew we weren't going to win a whole lot of games. And Steve was a Steve was a character person. He just wanted to get better and make our team better, and that's what he done. And he did get better too, right, Gerard? You could see his game evolving even before Scotty Bowman came. You were there up to 93 the year before Scotty arrived. No, management was great. Jimmy Devlin and the people there treated us real well. They, uh, you know, they, they ran the team the way they were supposed to run the team. And I think the team was building really good. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, you got the Russian Impact guys coming over here, Kozlov, Fedorov, Konstantin, up and those players. And 
it definitely got the team on an elite type of team in the NHL. But uh, the team was building from those years, like you said, when we lost uh, to mm-hmm. Edmonton in the, in the quarter in the semifinals twice, and you know, so the team was building in the right direction. And then it just got uh, it went over the top when they got the the Russian guys and obviously Lidstrom and those type of guys. And uh, the scouting department did an unbelievable job. So. It took some time to build it like it does anything else, but uh, it lasted for a long time. How about the trade rumors? How do you think he handled those, all those rumors? Because they go back to even the 1990-91 season when there was a talk about Pat LaFontaine trade, Gerard. Yeah, no, the, it, was, it was tough. There's no doubt because, uh, like you said, he was a diehard Red Wing. And uh, the one year, I think it was opening night when there was talk during the whole summer that Steve was going to get traded to Ottawa. And it was a strong, strong rumor. And uh, then I remember that night when they announced Steve Eisman as the captain of their team, and he came out from the from the hallway and came onto the ice, and it was an unbelievable amount of the fans wouldn't sit down, they wouldn't stop cheering and clapping, and uh, from what I understood, uh, Mr. Ulrich's ownership said after that happened, there was no chance Steve Eisman was getting traded, and uh, I don't think the trade was going to happen anyway, but I know that. Uh, there was a lot of talk that there's not a chance that they're going to trade Steve Eisman when that happened. And, uh, you know, it was the best thing for the organization, obviously. And, uh, you know, they went on to win a number of cups after that. Can you talk a bit about the toll on the bodies? You guys, both of you, Steve with his knees, your back, which knocked you out of the NHL at a relatively young age at 32. But could you talk a bit about you guys trying to, trying to move on with all these injuries, rehabbing and, and, and continuing on, Gerard? Yeah, no, at the end of my career, like I said, I had uh, four very good years in a row. And then, unfortunately, I had a back injury. I had to have surgery. You know, when I come back after that, I wasn't the same player. I went from a first or second line player to a, basically a 12-minute-a-night guy. And I lost I lost my speed. I lost, uh, you know, probably 15 or 20% of my game. And I wasn't the same player. So it was frustrating for me. And I ended my career pretty early at the age of 32. So it was tough, but that, that's the way it is. You know, you move on. You do something else. And. Fortunately for me, I got into coaching. I went back to Prince Edward Island and started doing that. And, you know, fortunately for me, like I said, I've got a pretty good job in coaching now in Vegas and had a good career in the NHL. So it's, it worked out pretty good. And obviously, Steve had some big injuries in his career. I remember the first one. I think he just scored his 50th goal for the first time against Buffalo. And then the next period after that, he went in and he jammed his knee against the post and he had major surgery on his knee. To, or I don't think he had the surgery, but. Uh, he had a major, major knee injury and had to rehab it for six months before he could play again. And he came back from that. And uh, he just worked so hard that it uh, didn't really affect him throughout his career. And then late in his career, again, he had some major injuries in his knees that basically ended his career. But uh, I think he was—I think he had a great career and he played long enough. So he's done a job, an incredible job. And uh, now being a, a top executive in the NHL for you know a number of years with Tampa now and Detroit now. So. He's done an outstanding job, and, you know, he's a first-class guy. The Red Wings uh, beat your Vegas Golden Knights here 3-2. You had a 2-1 lead, and Detroit scored late with that goal by Anthony Mantha. What did you make of the, the Red Wings? Steve Eisenman has come out and said he's happy with, uh, with the way the team is practicing and playing pretty fast. Uh, what did you make of that game? Obviously, you know, they're struggling a little bit, but lately they played real good hockey and inspired hockey, so... It's a team that's one, it's in one of the toughest divisions, if not the toughest division in hockey right now. They're going to have a battle, but they want to get better every day, and they want to build that team up again to where they're going to be real proud of it. So as long as those young kids keep working hard, they're going to be a real solid real solid team. And like I said, they beat us 3-2 in a game that we were disappointed in, but uh, they played hard. And Gerard, Steve went on to win uh, three Stanley Cups. He nearly won another one in Tampa Bay. 
you haven't won a Stanley Cup yet, but you did win in the CHL with the St. John Sea Dogs. Our beat reporter, Ted Colfin, picks your team, Vegas, to win the Cup this year. And clearly you have one of the better teams, and you went to the Stanley Cup final just a couple of years ago. So what would it mean to you to obviously finally win the Stanley Cup? Well, it would be something special. I've been wanting to win that since I've been six years old. So, you know, it's obviously a goal of every player that plays the game of hockey. So, like I said, I, I definitely uh, cherish it, and I wouldn't forget about it. And I don't need to win four or five. I'd be real happy with one. So we'll see what happens. And uh, like I said, hopefully we'll have another opportunity. We had two years ago, we went to the finals and lost to Washington. And we've got a good hockey team here. But uh, things have to go right for you to win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, I'm crossing my fingers. Gerard, thanks for sharing some of your time. Best of luck with the Knights, always. Thank you. Okay, that's Gerard Gallant. And we're back with overtime, wrapping things up, Ted. You know, if the Wings do finish last, and they're in last place right now, they would be guaranteed a top four pick in the NHL draft. And we already know that the top three forwards, Lafreniere, Byfield, and Raymond. So if they're off, if they're off the board, and Eiserman has a chance to take a goaltender, Yaroslav Askarov, who's moving up the charts on all the draft lists, I wonder if he would take a Russian goalie like he did with Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. It's really early still, Mark, but from talking to several people, they are they do like the guy, so I, I and you can see why they would. I mean, obviously Jimmy Howard and Jonathan Bernier, they're both getting up there in age. There's no clear-cut uh, replacement on the way in Grand Rapids, so that might be a good direction to go. There's no quality defenseman in, in that bracket from what I've heard. The kid from the Quebec League, though, is supposed to be a generational or close to it type player, so it'd be tough to pass up him, but you do need a goalie, and if this guy, if they're convinced that the Russian kid is a franchise-type goalie, might as well go in that direction and have that position filled for a good decade. And Ted, looking at the uh, week ahead, you've got the uh, Flyers Friday in Philly, and it doesn't get much easier after that game Friday at 4. Washington, Saturday night, arguably maybe the best team in the league, the way they're playing. Well, the Islanders never lose on Monday night, so that's three, three games in four days against three very quality, three quality opponents, two of them who are top-notch. They get a little bit of a break after that, so that'll be interesting. I mean, this schedule has been kind of rugged, but I mean, I tell you what, you're looking early December too. There's not a lot of guaranteed W's here coming up, so it's regard. It's going to be a pretty difficult stretch, especially with all these key injuries starting to pile on. All right, that'll just about do it for episode number eight. As always, you can follow Ted on Twitter. And you can get all your Wings coverage on our Octopals Facebook page with our Grand Rapids reports, stories, and videos, and photo galleries. We're also on Instagram, Instagram stories, Snapchat. You can sign up for our Wings newsletter. And there's one more week for that free Nicholas Lidstrom book giveaway. So just go to Facebook or SoundCloud for details on that, and I'll see you uh, next week, Ted. Sounds good, Mark. Have a good Thanksgiving. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks.